0: Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband, Bob. Today, we will be reading Genesis chapter 42 from the Good News Translation, today's English version, where we continue with the story of Joseph. Beginning at verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why don't you do something? I hear there is grain in Egypt. Go there and buy some to keep us from starving to death. So Joseph's ten half-brothers went to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, with them, because he was afraid that something might happen to him. The sons of Jacob came with others to buy grain, because there was famine in the land of Canaan. Joseph, as governor of the land of Egypt, was selling grain to people from all over the world. So Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted as as if he did not know them. He asked them harshly, Where do you come from? We have come from Canaan to buy food, they answered. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. He remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them, and said, You are spies. You have come to find out where our country is weak. No, sir, they answered. We have come as your slaves to buy food. We are all brothers. We are not spies, sir. We are honest men. Joseph said to them, No, you have come to find out where our country is weak. They said, We were twelve brothers in all, sir, sons of the same man in the land of Canaan. One brother is dead, and the youngest is now with our father. It is just as I said, Joseph answered, You are spies. This is how you will be tested. I swear by the name of the king that you will never leave unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get him. The rest of you will be kept under guard until the truth of what you say can be tested. Otherwise, as sure as the king lives, you are spies. With that, he put them in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God fearing man, and I will spare your lives on one condition. To prove that you are honest, one of you will stay in the prison where you have been kept. The rest of you may go and take back to your starving families the grain that you have bought. Then you must bring your youngest brother to me. This will prove that you have been telling the truth, and I will not put you to death. They agreed to this and said to one another, Yes, now we are suffering the consequences of what we did to our brother. We saw the great trouble he was in when he begged for help. But we would not listen. That is why we are in this trouble now. Reuben said, I told you not to harm the boy, but you wouldn't listen, and now we are being paid back for his death. Joseph understood what they said, but they did not know it because they had been speaking to him through an interpreter. Joseph left them and began to cry. When he was able to speak again, he came back, picked out Simeon, and had him tied up in front of them. Joseph gave orders to fill his brother's packs with grain, to put each man's money back in his sack, and to give them food for the trip. This was done. The brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain they had bought, and then they left. At the place where they spent the night, one of them opened his sack to feed his donkey, and found his money at the top of the sack. My money has been returned to me, He called to his brothers, Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and in fear they asked one another, What has God done to us? When they came back to their father Jacob in Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. The governor of Egypt spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying against his country. We are not spies, we answered. We are honest men. We were twelve brothers in all, sons of the same father. One brother is dead, and the youngest is still in Canaan with our father. The man answered, This is how I will find out if you are honest men. One of you will stay with me, the rest will take grain for your starving families and leave. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother back to you, and you can stay here and trade. Then when they emptied out their sacks, Every one of them found his bag of money, and when they saw the money, they and their father Jacob were afraid. Their father said to them, Do you want to make me lose all my children? Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone, and now you want to take away Benjamin? I am the one who suffers. Reuben said to his father, If I do not bring Benjamin back to you, you can kill my two sons. Put him in my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son cannot go with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. Something might happen to him on the way. I am an old man, and the sorrow you would cause me would kill me. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 42. In Genesis chapter 41, we read that Joseph was made governor over all of Egypt after he was able to accurately interpret the king's prophetic dream. The king said, we will never find a better man than Joseph, a man who has God's spirit in him. That statement is found in Genesis 41 verse 38. Verse 39 tells us that because God's spirit was in him, Joseph had greater insight and wisdom than anyone else. This is why he was chosen as a leader to prepare the nation of Egypt for the coming famine. In addition to being filled with God's Spirit, Joseph was also deeply emotional. In chapter 42, verse 24, we read that he was so overcome with emotion that he could not speak. He had to turn away from his brothers so that he could compose himself. As the story continues, Joseph eventually reveals his true identity to his brothers. This occurs in Genesis chapter 45 verses 1 and 2 which read, Joseph was no longer able to control his feelings in front of his servants, so he ordered them all to leave the room. No one else was with him when Joseph told his brothers who he was. He cried with such loud sobs that the Egyptians heard it and the news was taken to the king's palace. Joseph was a leader chosen by God to save the family of Israel from starvation and he was a person of strong emotion. Being emotional did not disqualify him from a position of prominence or leadership. Strangely enough, patriarchal theologians from ancient history to modern times have claimed that women are unfit for positions of leadership because they are too emotional. One student of New Orleans Baptist Seminary put it this way: quote, "Women are more emotional than men. People in the church can be harsh. A woman can break down emotionally more." End of quote." In light of this stereotypical viewpoint, the student did not believe that women should be leaders in the church. This quote was taken from a story in The Washington Post published on September 21, 2018. Disgraced patriarchal pastor Mark Driscoll was even more blunt. He claimed, quote, Women are unfit because they are more gullible and easier to deceive than men. Unquote. He then warned anyone who might be disturbed by his blatantly sexist comment to not quote, get all emotional like a woman. End of quote. These comments are taken from a leadership pamphlet that was published by his church in 2004.
1: This sexist theology can be traced back through church history to the writings of a fourth-century Roman bishop known as Saint Augustine. According to Stanford Encyclopedia, Saint Augustine repeatedly associated men with the rational part of the soul, while he associated women with the body and its passions. Among other places, This faulty theology can be found in Augustine's commentary on Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. The verse contains a description of Adam's joy at first seeing Eve, a companion that was finally like him, unlike the animals. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. Taking this statement completely out of context, St. Augustine claimed that the man in this passage represents the spirit, while the woman represents the flesh. He then concluded from this passage that men ruling over women must be part of God's original design. Genesis 2.23 says nothing of the sort, but in his work entitled Confessions, St. Augustine admits using the books of the Platonists as an interpretive guide to the Bible. Stanford's encyclopedia tells us that some of these books were undoubtedly the Enneads, written by a Neoplatonic philosopher named Plotinus. Plotinus compared men to the intellect, and women to the lower part of the soul, the emotions. Women he said were personified by the mythical figure of Pandora, a woman who opened a box and unleashed evil into the world. In Plotinus' mind, God was completely free of emotion. To pursue godliness was to pursue a life of pure intellect, void of all feeling. St. Augustine adopted a similar view. He believed that a godly life was one free of passionate emotion. Worried that women might stir feelings in men that he believed were sinful, St. Augustine insisted that women veil themselves in public. He also insisted that they submit themselves to male authority. Sadly, St. Augustine's view of women, emotion, and God was embraced by influential Reformed theologian John Calvin. Calvin also insisted that women subject themselves to, quote, the more distinguished sex, unquote. He was also so averse to emotion that he claimed, like Plotinus, that God has no actual feelings. In his work entitled Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 1, Chapter 17 and Paragraph 13, Calvin dismissed the idea that God could actually feel the emotion of anger. He wrote, Now the mode of accommodation is for him to represent himself to us, not as he is in himself, but as he seems to us. Although he is beyond all disturbance of mind, yet he testifies that he is angry toward sinners. Therefore, whenever we hear that God is angered, we ought not to imagine any emotion in him, but rather to consider that this expression has been taken from our human experience." Later in the same chapter, Calvin explains why he thought God cannot have emotions. Because everything that happens on earth does so by God's decree, he can never react to the independent actions of others. And since he can never be affected by others' choices, he cannot have emotion. John Calvin even thought that God was responsible for human sin. In our last podcast episode, we already demonstrated that this thinking is not biblical. Once again, Calvin was basing his views on the works of St. Augustine, who borrowed them from Plotinus. Plotinus was not a Christian, and his God was not only emotionless, he was also the author of both good and evil. Calvin refers to emotion as a disturbance of the mind. He claims that God cannot be so disturbed, but merely pretends to have emotion so that human beings can better understand him. While the God of a non-Christian philosopher may have been completely devoid of emotion, the God of the Bible certainly is not. In Genesis 6 verse 6, the Bible tells us that God was grieved when he saw how human beings were treating one another. Violence was everywhere. In all the earth, only one man and his family treated one another with kindness. In Jeremiah 7.31, God expresses horror at the choice of some in Israel to sacrifice their own children to idols. The passage reads, They have built shrines at Topheth in the ben Hinnon Valley to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Although I never commanded such a thing, nor did it ever cross my mind. So much for John Calvin's notion that everything taking place on earth does so by God's decree. The prophet Jeremiah, also a man of strong emotion, is often referred to as the weeping prophet. King David, God's chosen ruler of Israel, was also a person of strong emotion, who recorded many of his feelings in the Psalms. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, looked out over the city of Jerusalem and wept for its inhabitants according to Luke nineteen forty one. While praying in the garden, just before his betrayal and crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And that's from Matthew twenty six thirty eight. A prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah fifty three said that he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35, contains two words: Jesus wept. He grieved for the death of his friend Lazarus, and for the pain Lazarus' death was causing his family. Did God have a disturbed mind? Did Jesus? It's really no surprise that human beings are emotional, for we have an emotional God, and we, male and female are created in God's image. Having emotions does not disqualify a person from leadership, and being emotional is not an exclusively female trait. This type of thinking is nothing more than an ancient prejudice that crept into the church through the flawed, non-biblical philosophy of fallen men. Just as we see in the story of Joseph, what really matters is that leaders are equipped by God's Holy Spirit to accomplish whatever tasks God has called them to do.